You're listening to the Seahawks Insiders. Russell takes the snap, steps up in the pocket, looks, has time. Now he's going to throw. Tyler Lockett looks for the ball. He's got it. Touchdown, Seahawks. Getting you ready for Seahawks football every Sunday. The handoff inside to Carson starts up the middle, now bounces it across the line. He's in. Touchdown, Seahawks. Powered by Seahawks.com. Well, actually, this week we are getting you ready to rest, relax, and enjoy the Seahawks by because it is a good feeling when you go into this week with a win. That is exactly what the Seahawks are doing following a big win against Jacksonville on Sunday. Jen Mueller and John Boyle with you from Seahawks.com. And, John, I think even topping the news of the Seahawks win is that there's another poet on the team. Yeah, well... We'll I mean, get, it's maybe not the fact that he's a poet. It might just I be the I was going to say, the news might not be the poetry, although... I was just going off your no, tweet. No more pin, time to win has a nice sound to it, doesn't it? It, it does. I wonder if maybe we could have workshopped something a little bit more of like a haiku, but you know what? I, I, I think the message was really important. All right, when we get done with this podcast, I'm going to write a cut haiku now. <laughs> Perfect. Good. But, of course, we were talking about Russell Wilson and the news that the pin has come out of his finger. This has been a um, just it is the most frequently asked question over the last three weeks is how's his finger? When is the pin coming out? When are the stitches coming out? We now know that he is uh, certainly more than a step closer to coming back. But what do we think this means, John? I mean, I think it means he's got a very real shot at playing against Green Bay after the bye. I'm, I'm going to guess we will not know that answer for sure until inactives come out on game day because I would think Pete Carroll might want to slow play this if he can. However, as Pete Carroll said, this is a big step. You know, he'll need a few days just to heal from getting the pin removed. But after that, it's, you know, it, it's just getting that, you know, the movement back, getting going. And it, you know, I would not be surprised at all if when this team comes back to practice, if he's out there you know, in some capacity. And then, like I said, I'm guessing this will be a storyline all week. Yeah, I cannot even imagine how many times that question is going to be asked. I do think that when the team comes back to practice that you're going to have a pretty good indication even before inactives come out, just based on how much work he's getting or if he shows up on that inactive list and uh, during the course of the week for practice and that sort of thing. What would be your preference? Because this is the big debate right now. Now that we know where he is in the recovery process, does he need to be 100% considering who the opponent is after the bye? Or is Russell Wilson, in any capacity, the quarterback that you would go with? I mean, he's got to be able to grip the ball and throw it well. I mean, Geno Smith showed he's a more than capable quarterback. I don't think you throw Russell Wilson out there if his hand is to the point that he can't do his job. But look, if Russell Wilson is, you know, I don't know what the, I can't put a percentage on it, but if he's close to regular Russell Wilson, then yeah, you've, you get him out there, and I'm sure he's going to want to be out there. I'm sure this has been killing him to be missing three-plus games after a 10-year career of playing every snap. Well, and you wonder how much juice he's going to have when he gets back on the field and if he might have to contain that a little bit. Here's what we know for sure. The Seahawks did get a win with Geno Smith. They also seem to come together a little bit differently as a team. At least that's what Pete Carroll saw in how his team played without Russ. I think the message is how team-oriented this thing is, and, and everybody's got to be held accountable. Everybody's got to do their job, and everybody's got to do their part, 
and we contributed in a really complete team fashion yesterday, and it was uh, it, it was rewarding. Uh, it was also really it was exciting to see Gino have that chance to you know come on. We've seen him a little bit, and then a couple games, and then now he gets his best game. It looks like he's just getting getting in the full flow of it. So uh, I think everybody really appreciates what what he's done, and and uh, we're excited about moving forward. Well, we're in pretty good shape right now, pretty pretty healthy. So everybody feels that too. That when we come back here, we're gonna we're gonna you know go for it. See if we can get a good little run going here. It's funny there because he starts out talking about the the team element of it, but then he does dovetail off to Gino because that was just such a great performance and. It was cool to see not just obviously him play well, but how happy everyone was for him because yes. you knew that. I mean, he, he really tried to downplay it personally and, you know, make it all about the team when Geno Smith talked to us. But everybody else, you know, was so thrilled for him that, you know, he's fought this long road to, of being a backup and, and to play that well and lead the team to a win was pretty cool. 14 straight completed passes Sunday against Jacksonville. He finished 20 of 24 for 195 yards, no interceptions, and he led the Seahawks to 31 points. That is a season high, although credit Travis Homer for the shortest kickoff return in franchise history, I believe, that, that right? Was pretty, uh, yeah, shortest touchdown kick return. Yes, that's, yes. It, yeah, that was, that sure surprised me. You know, we're kind of at that late stage in the game where you're, you know, working on, you know, for, for me, it's working on writing or doing different things and you're only sort of paying attention because it's a blowout. And then you look up and, oh, look, he's going to score off an onside kick. Well, and you know what? I think Jacksonville kind of lost track of what was going on too. Cause when I talked to Travis after the game, he said, well, you know, we called the timeout, but I saw the look that they were giving me. I was ready for it. They'd kind of squibbed in my way. I said, well, if they do that again, I'm just going to take it up the middle. <laughs> It's okay. a great play. Got to be confident in your hands to do that. It was a great play. And I tell you what, it puts the Seahawks in a category. They had not had a kickoff return for a touchdown since 2017. Yep. Tyler Lockett against Arizona late. That's night. been a long time. I have been tracking that on my game-to-game notes for years, John. <laughs> we finally got to pull that one out. Let's go back to the play of Geno Smith. Let's go back to the play of the offense in general because I do think that there's a little bit of a silver lining and not having rust, right? People had to raise their game in different ways. You had to communicate better. One of the ways we saw that come through was on the offensive line. There was a change, and I know that offensive line can sometimes go unnoticed. Those guys don't talk a whole lot, but Ethan Posick seemed to have exactly what they needed. We did communicate well. Um, coaches felt really good about the calls and the consistency and all of that. Protections were were, uh, were in good shape. Uh, I thought Ethan did a nice job first game back. You know, he, he was a little rusty at some stuff physically and technique-wise, uh, but he, he did a nice job and did control it and was very comfortable uh, you know, with the opportunity. We talked about this last week that I don't think all these sacks we've been seeing lately have all necessarily just been guys getting beat and physical breakdowns that there did seem to be just some, some whether it's miscommunication or just things not quite in sync on that line. And I do think getting Ethan Postlick back there really helped kind of get everybody playing well. And that, that group did play really well, especially from a protection standpoint. Geno Smith did a good job getting the ball out on time. And yeah, that, that just the passing game just looks so much cleaner. The run game, however, has not looked like a Seahawks run game. I think that there's a few different reasons for this. Number one, I think it's exactly what you said. They were not playing clean up front the last few games, so you just weren't on your assignments for some of those run blocks. I think that Alex Collins has been playing more hurt than we realized, and Pete said that this week. He's really gutted it up. He's had a groin that is not 100%. And I think not having Chris Carson is also a huge issue. You would think you might be able to manage 
manufacture some sort of uh, semblance of an efficient ground game with the number of running backs, but, John, that hasn't happened. Yeah, I mean, it, it, Pete Carroll alluded to this. They basically had the one half against Pittsburgh that looked really good. Um, unfortunately, as you said, Alex Collins did get dinged up, and his so much of his game is that, you know, shiftiness, that lateral movement, and that's you know, it might be one thing to battle through a groin injury if you're a big downhill runner, but his, you know, he needs to be able to bounce around and move, and if that's bothering him that's going to limit his ability and I mean, yeah Chris Carson's a great running back I mean he's been a four-year starter here he's you know one of the most productive backs this team has had you know since Marshawn Lynch so for him to to be out of the lineup makes a big difference well and it looks like he might be returning to practice yeah. when the Seahawks return from the bye that would be a great sign although the thought in the back of my head said Chris just don't hurt yourself you know, know like just like just it, be a hundred percent I mean I'm sure they're being very cautious given that it's a neck injury it, it's, it was good to hear, though, because you go back to Friday when Pete was asked about Chris Carson. It sounded a little ominous. I mean, he was asked, you know, could this keep him out for the season? And Pete couldn't really say no to that question. However, Monday, he talked about, you know, Chris really thinks he's going to be able to get back. He will have to clear some tests Monday, so nothing is guaranteed. But Chris is at least heading into the week thinking he's got a shot to play. Well, and I did talk to him briefly last week, and he seemed pretty optimistic. And I know that he's not going to tell me that he's not feeling well, but his overall demeanor, his smile, the way that he's carrying himself, he does not appear to be somebody who was shutting it down for the season. It, it does, to me, read like he is planning to be back on the field. And also important to point out, because Pete was asked about this, I, I think people automatically want to go to, is this Cam Chancellor, is this right. Cliff Averill? Uh, who both unfortunately had their careers ended by neck injuries. Brandon Jackson as well, come to think of it. Uh, Pete said this is different than that. This is not, you know, they're being careful because anything involving the neck and spine and head and any of that, you know, you need to be really careful, but this is not the same kind of situation. Daryl Taylor returned from a neck injury a couple of weeks ago in Pittsburgh. And I think, and and John, here's what I want to do. I want to talk about defense and pass rush. And then I want to get players that have really stood out during the first half of the season, even though that first half is kind of hard to judge because the 17 games, it's just not easy. We're going to stop at halftime next (laughs) game and do a full midseason assessment at halftime of the Green Bay game. We can't ask Pete about each quarter of the season anymore. I joked with him about that because he loves to break the season into quarters and, you know, first quarter, second quarter. You can't do that with 70 no. games. It doesn't no. work. No. I, do, I don't like to do math that involves percentage points. Like, yeah. don't make me do that. Anyway, let's get back to Daryl Taylor, who returned and has really been a nice presence. And I'm going to go out there and say a little bit surprising based on how he can affect quarterbacks and what it looks like on the defensive line when he's out there but yet that rush is not getting to the quarterbacks nearly enough they need to find some productivity in the second half we got to keep going we you know we got to keep uh, mixing our pressures and, and the stuff that we're doing to help the help the rush you know, coverage wise and, and get them down we, we had we could have had five sacks easy in the game and uh, um, he did a nice job of getting rid of the football uh, so um, I really liked what Carlos did in the game. I thought he was really effective um, pushing the pocket, and Daryl looked really flashy uh, and had some great rushes in the game, and we just got to convert those into sacks. But I mean, what, what happened was the most of our wins came on third down, and that's when we really heated it up, and the guys did a nice job. You know, as Pete Carroll said, they need to get going. It, it's not where they want to be yet, but I think we have seen progress. Um, there was, you know, they, I think they hit, Trevor Lawrence seven times. They batted down that four batted balls at the line of scrimmage, which you know is another way you're affecting the quarterback, obviously, with the guys up front. So it isn't, you know, they're not getting the sacks they want yet, but there is progress. To your point about Daryl Taylor, yeah, I mean, 
this is obviously what you hope a guy can be when you take him in the second round and you know you trade up to get him. But there's no guarantees with any draft pick, let alone a guy who missed the whole year due to injury, how he's going to come back. So for him to come back and immediately be your most productive pass rusher through half a season, that's awesome. Right. That was exactly my point. Right. You would kind of envisioned and imagined what could happen to actually see him and to see what happened last week when he wasn't in the lineup and that nobody could really get that same sort of edge. Now, I would say this. I do think that once he gets a, a little bit more of his technique honed, and I know this just from listening to guys on the sidelines during the game, I think he is going to become even more of a monster. I think, though, that he's got to get a little bit more of a lean. He's a little bit too high on some of that. He's just missing the quarterback thing just that much. Yeah. But I, I do think that uh, it'll be a test, right? When you say that the Seahawks defense has turned a corner and they're getting better, it is one thing to do that against Trevor Lawrence. It is entirely different to do that against Aaron Rodgers. And then Kyler Murray the next week. Exactly. I, mean, we're, I think we're going to learn a lot about what kind of progress this defense has made. I mean, give them credit. No matter who you're playing, if you're holding teams to 13 points and 7 points in back-to-back weeks, that's, that's a step in the right direction. But we're going to find out a lot these next two games. And to be fair, coming into the game, Trevor Lawrence had only been sacked 10 times. The fact that you got to him on that opening series, that was also a win because that offensive line had done a really good job of keeping him upright. The Seahawks head into the bye on a high note. John, here's what I want to do. And Daryl Taylor, I've already given this away, is my impact player on the defense for what we will call the first half of the season. But I'm curious, when you look at the first half of the season – your impact player on offense and defense, whether it's a surprise or it's the steady Eddie guy, who would you say? Yeah, I mean, when you say steady Eddie on defense, you obviously got to look at Bobby Wagner, yes. who still leads the NFL in tackles. Unbelievable. I mean, just he gets 14 tackles, and you're like, oh, yeah. Whoops, yeah, exactly. Didn't even but the guy I'm, I'm going to shift and not go with Bobby because we give him enough love, I, I'm going to say Quandre Diggs. Mm. I mean, he's just been so solid back there. Obviously, the three picks stand out, but you watch him. I mean, that he does so many of those things that, that one of the main things of that job is to keep the kind of moderate gains from getting out and being big gains. And you see him erase so many of those, you know, 10, 12 yard plays that he sniffs out before they can turn to something bigger. He's, he's just been solid back there. Well, and I think his interception against Trevor Lawrence speaks to that when it said, look, it looks like he threw the ball to me. I actually jumped that route. Like yeah. he is very good at diagnosing and recognizing what's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, he has, I, I'd say of his interceptions since he's been here, a good half of them you watch it. Like, wow, that was easy. They threw it right to him. But I, I think more, you know, more often than not that they, they threw it right to him because the quarterback wasn't expecting him to be there because he did something to kind of fool him. And I mean, in that one, he said, you know, he was looking at, Daryl Bevel and Brian Schottenheimer know him. They know he's aggressive in his run fits. It was a play action. They're probably expecting him to bite, and you have that receiver one-on-one with a corner running a deep crosser, and that's, you know, that's advantage receiver every time. But, oh, the safety's back there and runs her out for the receiver and makes a great play. Yeah, and I want to see how that tandem plays out. You know, I, I, I think he and Jamal are so talented in the back end, but I also think that Jamal has been used in so many different ways that I, I – I still haven't quite seen that pairing the way that I thought it was going to play out. And I want to see what that looks like, to your point, against Aaron Rodgers and against Kyler Murray. They can be really dangerous, but I don't feel like they're playing in tandem quite yet. Yeah, I think we're seeing more of it. I, to me, at least, I, I think we've seen a lot more out of Jamal Adams. That he's still not getting the sacks and all that, but he's been more impactful these last two, three weeks than, than he was earlier in the season. So I think... I think as a tandem, they're trending in the right direction. Yeah, so you're going Quandre Diggs on defense. I just made the case for Daryl Taylor. On offense, who do you have? 
I mean, I got to go with DK. He's been, it's, you know, it's kind of been an interesting year between him and Tyler Lockett. I, of, that was actually the, the name year, that I wrote down was Tyler it, Lockett. It's, it's really, to me, it's both of them. I don't Because, you know, the running game, unfortunately, hasn't been consistent. You haven't had Russ all year. So the two most, you know, productive, consistent guys have been those two. And it's sort of pick your poison, which one, which week is the most productive. But they've both been awesome. What I really liked in last week's game with Gino, a couple of things. Number one, DK says he doesn't usually get balls like this. Just just throw it up. Let me go get it. Because mm. he's going to out-jump Shaq, right? Yeah. I thought that was interesting to see him utilize like that. Now, I, I do think that Russ throws up 50-50 balls for him to go and get. Um, but also, those guys were utilized in some of the short routes underneath, which yeah. can be so effective. If that run game is not getting going, I like that we have seen some versatility. I, I'd like maybe fewer screen passes, but that's... They're here north there I mean, on that one, right? We're getting some yards open. But th- that they're versatile, right? They're not just the speed guys. They're not just downhill, right? They're just – I like what they can do, and I like what Gino did in executing that game plan. Well, I like that he just kept going. I mean, you got two of the best yeah. receivers. Go to him. I mean, I, when we did this podcast last week, I, I said I want to see those – I think yes, I can't remember the did. number I said, maybe 17 or 18 targets. They were targeted 19 times. That was 19 of the 21 targets went to those two guys. And look, it's not going to be that way every week, but they're two of the best receivers in the NFL. You know, you might as well keep going at them. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure that Tyler had 12 of the first 13 were targeted to him. He, he had a lot of targets early on, which was good. John, every week we talk about what needs to happen for a successful Seahawks win. Let's do this. What would make this bye week successful for the Seahawks? And then I'm going to have to ask what's going to make the bye week successful for you. But what are the Seahawks, what, what should they be looking at? What can they do to set themselves up for success against Green Bay? Well, I mean, anytime you have a bye, the main thing is getting healthy. And they, they should be coming out of this bye pretty darn healthy. Obviously, you know, the question all week is going to be Russ and Chris Carson. But, you know, if you're, if you're getting healthy, that's, that's number one. And, you know, I don't know what this process looks like from a coaching standpoint, but maybe figure out a way to use this time to kind of get over the the Lambo demons. I don't know what it is and how you do that, but that place is, I mean, part of it's just, it's a darn good team every yes. year. You know, you always have these stats of these teams are this, this, and this, and well, if they win every year, that's part of it. So, uh, but you know, I don't, I don't know what the magic trick is there, but figure out a way to uh, kind of exercise your demons at Lambo. I'm going to say on that injury list, we talk about Russ and we talk about Chris Carson. Brandon Shell hasn't been at 100% yeah. for a few weeks. When I talked to him last week, it's an ankle injury. That is a large man to yeah. keep walking around on an injured ankle. And he said, it's not going to get better until I can just put my leg up and rest, which, of course, he's planning to do this week. That's a big one. DJ Reed with a groin. Yeah. Again, Pete says it's nothing to worry about. You wonder if you if you would be worried about it if you had a game on Sunday, but now you can actually yeah. just let that rest. Well, and the other one, I mean, DK Metcalf keeps saying he's yes. fine, but Pete Carroll did say a couple of weeks ago this buy is going to be important for him. They've been managing that foot injury, you know, really for the last month or so where he's not practicing Thursday and maybe he's limited another day. So get him, you know, get him a little healthier, get guys healthy, and I think that'll be good coming out of the buy. I also think, and anytime you get a buy, you're going to say that it's coming at the right time. Right. Wait. But I also feel like we've had the buy a little earlier the last couple of years. And this truly is coming at almost the midway point and at a really good time. Well, and look, if you get Russell Wilson back and he yes. only missed three games, that would that be buys cool. you essentially that buys you an extra game because of the buy. So 
if if he comes back, then yeah, the bye could not have possibly come at a better time. Okay, well then, for your bye week to be successful, John Boyle, what you got? Me personally? Yeah. I, I mean, mean, certainly you've some, thought about how you're spending your weekend off. Get some sleep, you know, see some friends. Is that going to happen with three kids, John? I mean, like, I let's make these more. realistic. I'm not saying I'm sleeping till 10, but, <laughs> you know, maybe one of the days I'll let us sleep till 8. Okay. At 7.30, 8-ish, you know, see some friends. We might we might see a little family, but nothing, no big plans, no traveling. We Unfortunately, months ago, we thought we'd fly somewhere with the kids for the bye week, but that Delta's making it so you don't want to fly with unvaccinated children. So we'll stick around. Maybe a, maybe a road trip somewhere to see family. That's about it. All right. How about I'm, you? I'm going to go to Arizona and uh, nice. pull for a crack and win. That's right. And, you get uh, to work during the bye. Then I'm going to come back and I'm going to watch football with mimosas in hand. And with any luck, the football gods will let me watch games instead of taking my power away before games start. That's no good. Two weeks ago. That was really a bummer. All right, here's what's not a bummer. The Seahawks head into the bye week on a high note. We are going to do the same, and we will be back with you next week to preview the game between the Packers and the Seahawks on the Seahawks Insiders Podcast.